uh, in the summer when I was running cross country, I ate a dozen eggs every morning. Oh, no, you didn't. You're like a good star. Absolutely. Well, yeah, not quite. Hello, and welcome to the Raleigh Pro Ultimate Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Mead. We are here to connect you with the players and personalities of North Carolina semi-professional Ultimate Frisbee. Today, I'll be interviewing Eric Taylor. Eric was one of the first people I thought about when I wanted to start this podcast. He's he's funny. He's thoughtful. He's got great stories. And I knew immediately that we were going to learn a lot from him and, and have an enjoyable time getting to know him. Eric is originally from the Columbus, Ohio area. He started playing when he was in high school and even played some local YCC youth club championship teams in the area before taking his talents to Carleton College in Minnesota, where he played from 2014 to 2018. While there at Carleton, he won a championship his junior year in 2017. Since then, he's moved to the Triangle and been playing with our local club team, Ring of Fire, as well as playing on a U24, so under-24 national team in Australia, where he won gold in the winter of 2018, and again when he was captain in Germany in the summer of 2019. Uh, he also would have been picked to play the Mixed World Games team in the summer of 2020, which puts him in the top 30 players in the country. But unfortunately, of course, the tournament was canceled due to COVID. His first year on the finals was 2019, where he primarily played center handler on the offense. And so this is a guy we saw a lot of get a lot of touches, throw off a lot of big throws, and get a lot of deep, deep pucks. You've seen him in highlights, where he's the particularly famous one in the playoffs last year with a double bid with him and uh, another player on the Roughnecks double bidding at the same time. It's, it's pretty spectacular. So I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. Eric's really fun. He's definitely a super nerd, as you'll figure out pretty quickly, playing a lot of D&D and owning his own swords and... <laughs> uh, he takes that kind of creativity and thought, not just to the way he lives his life, but to the way, the way he plays. So I hope you enjoy. This is our first interview with Eric Taylor. Eric, welcome to the podcast. We are excited to have you on. How's everything going? Uh, it's going good. Thanks. Definitely uh, excited to talk about some of my uh, some of my stories. As many of my friends will tell you, it's uh, sometimes difficult to get me to shut up. But uh, yeah, happy to talk. Awesome. All right. So on that note, we'll just leave it open-ended. And I, I think it's important to always start with who are you and what's your story? So yeah, I so I originally, I uh, was born in a suburb just outside Columbus, Ohio, which is where I lived for all of my sort of, you know, young life. I went to, you know, middle school and, you know, high school, I switched to a different high school, but uh, that was in Columbus instead of a suburb. But most of the, mostly I sort of like lived there. And then I ended up at uh, Carleton for college and a bunch of my, basically all of my closest friends were from North Carolina. And so I decided to uh, figure I'd move down to follow them. So yeah, I, uh, I let me see story. I, I don't know. I'm really, so I, I'm in science. I work at, at a vaccine Institute. I work at the Duke human vaccine Institute. We've been doing a whole bunch of stuff on Pfizer and AstraZeneca COVID vaccines. We've been supporting a couple of pediatric uh, studies that are looking at a few other things, some uh, surveillance of COVID in the community, a bunch of sequencing. We've also been super heavily involved in the uh, sort of Duke uh, screening process for all of its students and staff, which if you're a uh, avid reader of the morbidity and mortality weekly reports of the CDC, you may have seen some stuff we uh, was published by uh, some PIs in our institute talking about the uh, really strong uh, success of that program. It's been really kind of cool to be at least uh, tangentially involved. So what was um, your undergrad in at Carleton? My undergrad was in biology. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Carleton's uh, a pretty small school. It's like a 20, the town's um, 20,000 people. There's another college in it that's like 6,000 people and Carleton is 2,000 students. So uh, you do tend to run into people. So they don't, they don't have, you know, 
biomedical engineering majors. It's like, oh, you want to do you want to do pre-med bio or chemistry? And that's basically it. When I'm not playing Frisbee, which during normal times, which is to say not COVID times is uh, not that often. I'm usually yeah. playing Frisbee uh, during those times. I uh, have spent. I'm like a hobbyist, I guess. So I I like playing D&D is a huge one. Uh, I am currently DMing two games and I'm playing in two. Uh, so that's a pretty big time commitment, but I have a huge propensity just to fill up my schedule with stuff and that just fits right in. See what else? Uh, I also, <laughs> well, I picked up a archery target uh, during quarantine uh, and a recurve bow because uh, I don't know, you know, everybody's doing sourdough and I'm such a nerd. I figured it'd be cool to just like be just so icy at like recurve archery, like some walks in your backyard, like, Oh, you want to shoot around? And then you just like, I mean, I've, is, there's a rack of swords on my wall over here. Uh, I've got a couple of training swords and a bow and uh, I like to go out and shoot in the backyard. It's a, it's a pretty good time. Well, I was told to ask about the sword. So I was going to get to that later or we can get into it now. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we've got, we've got a whole Frisbee story. That's probably the, the real meat of this. Uh, and we can, yeah, I mean, I guess we could talk about swords now. So it's actually funny how that happened. So my whole life, I've been really like totally into fantasy and stuff like that. And so I like loved Lord of the Rings as a kid. And my sisters and I watched Pirates of the Caribbean all the time. So we were really into that. And I just loved like the idea of knighthood and that there was this, in some ways, it's like a moral reduction of like goodness in the world. You're like, oh, it's a knight. They're like honorable and good. And, you know, as an adult, you read back and you're like, eh, maybe not all of them. Uh, but I like have always wanted a sword. And like, honestly, it's a good thing. My mom didn't let me get one when I was still living in a roof because like I wouldn't trust a 16 year old with a sword. That'd be a terrible idea. And uh, I was just like drinking on the back porch. And Saul was like, I think you're too scared to do it. I think you're not going to get a sword. You're just talking all this big game. And I was like, Saul, look me in the eyes right now. I'm buying it off Amazon. And I just like bought it. It's been awesome for anyone who follows me on Twitter, which I'm sure is not that many of you. I proselytize, own a sword. I've never felt more powerful. It's awesome. <laughs> Even if you just like cut up some cardboard boxes every once in a while, it's just tight. It's sick to have a sword. So this is, this is sharp. Like, this is not something you could, like, oh, you yeah. could, oh. Oh, yeah. No, I, sh I sharpened it myself. Like, I've got some whetstones, and I've got a strop, and the whole freaking thing. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the neighbors, like, you know, maybe at some point when they moved in, were like, oh, you know, like, like talk to our neighbors. And then they saw me, like, swinging a sword around in the backyard, and they're like, eh, maybe not. Um, but uh. <laughs> I actually, um, so I lived in England for four years, from ages 8 to 12, because my dad was in the Air Force. Um, so we like, I, I also had tons of wood swords and did all the fantasy stuff. I mean, it was, yeah, it's just, so. it's the best. It's and the then best. also I, I'll say this is going to be many, many, many years down the line, but at some point, if I have a child to call my own, I'm going to tell the most, just, uh, just incredible bedtime stories. I'm just going to like freaking spin that web. And, uh, that's how the, you know, the Tolkien universe started out as uh, bedtime yep. stories to his kids, which is bedtime super, story. super cool. Yep. And then Chris, yeah. No, that's awesome. All right, we can move to Frisbee though. So okay. uh, your Frisbee history, by contrast. Yeah. How it did you feels... come to it? What sports did you do before? How long have you been throwing for? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's how long you got. Like, <laughs> So I tried just about every sport under the sun before I started playing Frisbee. I started out, I think the first sport I played, you know, was like rec soccer as like a, you know, 
toddler, toddler. And then I was on the swim team at the country club near where I grew up. And then I started playing tennis. And that was my first like big sport that I was super into. For, for people who are especially sort of like intuitive of like people's movement mechanics, there are a couple other notable uh, tennis players or people who came from tennis who play who are really good. One of them being Jack Williams. And then for other Triangle fans, hopefully you know, Stephen Poulos, who is still an incredible thrower. Uh, and I think that that sort of has been, a, it's a, something I've discovered affected a lot the way I developed as a player, because for those of you who play tennis, you know, it's very unforgiving form-wise. Like if you're even a little bit off, you just hit the ball out of the court. Uh, and that level of like precision, I think is, is a lot of uh, how I got to be the way that, that I am as a thrower. So anyways, I played tennis from when I was seven to when I was 14. I played lacrosse for a couple of years. I actually wrestled. My dad wrestled in college, so he wanted me to do that. So I wrestled for a couple of years. I played one year of football. I ran for cross country. I ran cross country for six years from middle school to high school. And what else? I think I maybe did one or two other things. Well, At any so rate, this is an auditory medium too. So we should paint a picture. How tall are you, Eric? I'm six foot two, like 165, as I have been for the past six years. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine you wrestling. So the thing, the thing about wrestling is it's weight classes, right? right? So you're never, you're never wrestling somebody else. But the funny thing about this is so like, you know, six, two, it's like decently tall for regular people. I'd say for Frisbee, it's like, you know, about average. Yeah. But uh, when I was wrestling, which was in middle school, I was five, six, five, four to five, six. And I weighed considerably less than a hundred pounds. I was like 70 pounds in seventh grade. I was a teeny dude, like 10th percentile in weight. Like, and one thing that I is still true about me now and can use because I eat like I've got a hollow leg. Um, I like will go. So fun, fun fact, which I'm just not going to explain because it'll be, it'll be more mystical that way. Uh, twice in the calendar year 2020 was I given a free dessert for eating more than a wait staff thought I could eat in a single sitting. I like order at a restaurant sometimes and I'll say, I'm hungry. I'm not picky. What is about what two adults would eat? And I will have that for dinner. <laughs> So I like, I was a teeny kid and I was, my mom was like, you know, I would eat dinner and then I would eat dessert, like a big ice cream sundae. And then my dad would come home from work and then I would eat dinner again with him. And my mom used to like pick me up um, from, oh yeah. Like my, my senior year of high school uh, in the summer when I was running cross country, I ate a dozen eggs every morning. Oh, no, you didn't. You're like a Gaston. Oh my Absol- God. I, well, yeah, not quite, you know. <laughs> five dozen eggs or whatever, but I was eating, I was actually eating 12 <laughs> eggs every morning Two six egg omelets. You know, it's a pretty efficient way to go. You toss some, you know, spinach, tomatoes, a little onion in there. This Good is stuff. insane. This is yeah. I, I, I think that my basal metabolic rate is like maybe like 20% higher than an average person's. Cause I've just always eaten so much. Then I picked up Frisbee while I was a sophomore in high school. So there was uh, there was a frisbee team at the high school that I transferred to. Uh, my mom wanted me to go there, so I, I, I went to school at New Albany Middle School, suburb in, in uh, outside Columbus, and then St. Charles Preparatory School is the name of the school I went to. Think uh, Dead Poet Society. That high school is really similar to the high school that I went to, which is honestly funny that I ended up the way that I am as a bleeding liberal frisbee player who lives in you know in the city. There's there's not a lot of people who who graduated from there who are like that, but. Uh, they had a frisbee team and a bunch of the cross country guys played frisbee, but I wanted to play one year of lacrosse because I, you know, invested my middle school years trying to do it. So I played one year of lacrosse on the freshman team and it sucked. It was really not fun, but I started playing pickup in a different town. I just like showed up and I really had a good time. And my parents were like, oh, it's a great way to, you know, get him some exercise for a couple hours on a Sunday. So they just like dropped me off and I play. 
and I obviously like I loved it right away. So I was like, well, I definitely got to play, you know, next year. So I that was the spring of my freshman year. I started playing pickup, and then I played sort of like whatever small practices or pickups throughout the fall of my sophomore year, and then the spring season, uh, I joined the frisbee team, which I also like totally loved. So I played another year the next year, and I tried out for the YCC team that summer. So I guess that was the summer of 2013. And YCC stands for, for those who wouldn't know. Yeah, Youth Club Championship. And uh, so I played on on that team. Um, we like barely missed the bracket at the tournament. And then I played again the next year. I was a captain the next year. Uh, and I actually lost in the finals to Saul and Henry's team, <laughs> Triangle Triforce, uh, which was the first time I had met them. Um, and Walker Matthews also. So that was like, then I committed to going to Carlton because I which sort of came about because I knew I wanted to go somewhere with a good Frisbee team. Uh, it was one of the most important things I was looking and uh, really seems like a huge sort of potential to go either way because I only applied to three schools. I applied to Ohio state because it was close and it was cheap. I applied to Pittsburgh because they were good and I you know, felt like I could get it. I could get in and I applied to Carlton ED one early decision one. And that's where I wanted to go. And I got how different it'd be if I'd gone to Pitt. I mean, I like, I'm sure I still would be like, playing club but it's hard to hard to say without it even have been like so yeah i i went to carlton i joined the ranks of loads of other people who i'm still playing with so stan my roommate uh he's two years younger than me but saul and henry dylan lanier uh eli miller who doesn't play club but he was a north carolina guy and uh a, sort of a few others and it i just like continued to be like the most important thing i was doing with my life and i remember telling uh my advisor that i was like trying to figure out schedules or whatever else and i was like i think frisbee is the most important thing that i'm doing with my life right now and he's like i think you do now but you'll probably come around i don't remember what his name is but wherever you are if you're listening you were wrong it is still (laughs) it is still the most important thing i'm doing with my life and i feel some sort of like you know vindication that i was right then did y'all y'all won a national championship while you were there right yes in 2017 we we won a national championship it was pretty incredible experience in in a lot of ways not what i expected because one of the things that we preached really strongly at carlton and i think a lot of elite programs do which i also carry with me to be exceedingly important these days is a process versus outcome goal kind of thing so an outcome goal be win games and a process goal would be play good ultimate and we really tried to get behind those process goals and i was a huge champion of that as like a you know more vocal leader on the team and so I talked about, you know, I was like, like, I can't even think about nationals. We weren't allowed to say regionals or say nationals until after we, we had qualified. They're like, if anyone says nationals, like go run. And then we won. It was like, I was like holding my breath and not thinking about it. And then it was like, almost like a rug had been pulled out from under me. I was like, well, what the hell? Like we did it now. What? Um, and so it took a couple of weeks to just sort of like deal with that, which I feel a little bit like regretful about because Henry had an incredible time. He was like, because the uh, D3 women's team at Carlton Eclipse also won that year. So then, yeah, I was in 2017. And then I was, I was captain the next year with Saul and Henry, which was honestly a dream come true. It was super fun. But I played, I qualified to play on the U24 national team in uh, Perth, Australia in the winter of 2018, uh, which is really cool. I got to take a, a trimester off from school because I had enough credits. And uh, I like went to Australia for two weeks, just like, lived and breathed frisbee and yeah that was and that was way more an outcome goal oriented team which makes sense right you play on a u.s national team you expect to win uh it's hard to say it's a it's anything but a failure if you don't win which is like 
a little bit of maybe unhealthy psychological pressure on the team. But at the end of the day, like you gotta, you gotta get there and bring home the hardware that U24 men's team has never lost a game. That was your senior year at Carlton. So you that was the, the winter of my senior year in the winter. And then you came back and then played the next, that, that would have been your final postseason, right? Yes. So we, we played that final postseason, definitely huge amount of potential. And I think in a lot of ways, like we didn't, we didn't achieve our outcome goals and we sort of played below potential. There are a lot of reasons uh, people sort of talk about for that. And uh, that being said, I still think it was a super value. I mean, incredibly valuable experience to have and, and really useful moving forward. Plus also a great time to, to, uh, you know, have, have the last of a, of our season um, with like, a lot of my closest friends I've ever had. So at the end of the day, it's, it's not, and no, no season's ever a complete failure because it just, because it happened. Like if it was a failure because you lost, then you shouldn't be playing like that. Hey, you know, it is what it is. And then I guess then the, onto the club career. So I played after 2018, I played for ring. And then in the summer of 2019, I played for flyers and I played for another U24 team in Germany, which is actually the Jersey that I'm wearing right now. And I was a captain of that team with Saul and Mac Hecht, which was really cool. Uh, and I definitely, definitely really enjoyed the second one. It was a little different in that I had a lot more ownership. I mean, I was one of the best players on the team and uh, definitely a vocal. I was the only returner also. So I think that like put me in a position to, to, you know, be a leadership presence that I certainly wouldn't have done the first time around. Uh, but it was super sad. It was like a little less like rawly fun because I'd already done it, but it was way more satisfying to feel like I'd, you know, really contributed, played some of the best ultimate I'd ever played, certainly the best I'd, I had up to that point. Uh, and that was super satisfying. And then, uh, yeah, came back for my first flyer season, or I guess the end of my first flyer season in, uh, in 2019. All right. So looking into the flyer season and kind of the flyers. So obviously you've now played, so you've had one year and then COVID canceled last year. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I just would want to start with like the franchise as a whole has had some incredible regular seasons but other than the first year where we made championship weekend and lost in the semis, we have yet to actually make the championship weekend. Um, obviously you were an outsider for most of that until 2019. So what are your kind of goals? You know, this season's going to look so different with the new division rewrites and with the, the shortened schedule. And so like, what, what do you want from yourself and from the team this year going into 2021? Yeah. I mean, obviously the shortened season provides like a, a unique backdrop for, for the team that we're currently trying to build and create in this season we don't have a huge amount of time to like really sort of like settle in and I think in some ways it might actually be a blessing because I think really the the issue is not the talent it never has been it's not really the strategy strategy has been good it's just like not performing when it comes up to a certain moment I think one other thing and this may be in some ways like a sort of lagging or like a legacy of team culture this way I think that uh the team previously has placed a little too much emphasis on outcome goals. Obviously we have them uh, and it'd be stupid to pretend not, but one of the things that is the strongest selling point in my mind for a process over an outcome goal oriented team is that when you have a process goal, you can always be succeeding at that, right? You, you keep the reins on deciding what success is. You say, my process goals are, I want to work harder on defense every point. My process goals are I want to play unselfish on offense. I want to like be helpful on the sidelines. I want to learn relentlessly, right? Those are things you can always be doing and you can always be succeeding at. Not to say that you will, right? There are certainly times you're like, damn, that point, like I didn't play hard enough to eat or at that point I played a little selfish or, you know, that point I wasn't ready to hear a teammate, teammate's feedback. So I think that 
sort of rededicating and buying into this idea that if we just let go of like wanting to win games, then we will win more games, <laughs> which is a super weird thing. And I, the other thing also is like, you know, in club, there's always a back door, right? Like you, you're, you're, you know, your schedule doesn't really mean that much. Your record doesn't really mean that much at the end of the day, if you're good at the end of the season, if you're, if you're the best team at the tournament at the end of the season, chances that you win the tournament are really good. But in the UDL, you got to qualify. You got to be, you got to be good early and you got to keep playing. So I think hopefully we have a base level of talent and experience and chemistry from a lot of these people playing together for a really long time that allows us to not worry about winning, winning, you know, early road, you know, early road games or whatever. We just like do that because we're good. Um, but I really think that we, we need to stop talking about what our record is. We need to stop talking about like how we're gonna, you know, oh, we're, we're just like, we're going to get there and talk, you know, take it to Dallas, which is in some ways is like, and I, you know, saw on the, on the program, like talking about why can't we get over the Dallas hump? Because, because we call it the Dallas hump, right? As soon as, as soon as we're like, it's just another Frisbee game, right? Like against a team who is good. That's a way better mental framing to come into it. And I, I, I'll accept that not everybody believes that that's the way to do it, but I think it's been an integral part of my game and also my success, which I like to think is like somewhat noteworthy. So do you, can you give one process specific goal for yourself that you want for the season? And then maybe one for the team that you would hope that you guys would have. Yes. So process goal for the team. I'm hoping to do a little more cutting this year than I did last year. Obviously I was like a, you know, a a hub handler. Um, But I had a huge amount of success on ring in 2019 being a, being a, not even, I mean, like kind of a primary deep threat. I certainly like caught a lot of, a, a lot of hucks for that team. I had a really great time doing it, but I do notice that I tend to hang out a little deep. So this is like a super specific process goal, but I would like to uh, facilitate downfield offense a little better by making sure that I get back shallow a little earlier instead of hanging out over the top, which I think I sometimes do. Um, actually, I, I got a defensive goal too, which is uh, not getting beat in a warning track situation. So huck goes up one yard outside the end zone. A lot of times people were like, oh, it's in, and then they give up. And I noticed myself doing that, and I hate it. So I want to stop doing that. I want to maintain constant effort until that whistle blows. What did you What did you call that? A warning track, like warning track power in baseball. Got it. Okay. I love that. No, I, yeah. And, and that's one of the things. I remember listening to this interview that Nikki Spiva did on Next Gen in 2011. So way back, which also, as an aside, that was like my dream in high school. It's like, God, if I could play for next year, that'd be the coolest thing ever. And I guess I kind of got it playing for U24, but um, it was, I remember, I mean, I ate, I just ate that up and he gave an interview and he's like, yeah, when you start playing, you make these huge strides. You're like, oh, I can like throw a flick now or like, oh, I can huck it now. Or like, <laughs> oh, I can lay out now. You know, those are big jumps. And then the better you get, the smaller and more incremental those, those increases become. And so what the example he gave, he was like, oh, and now I've got, a lot more touch on my inside flick. And so I feel like it's, you know, I like, I can run a cutting pattern. I can shake somebody in isolation. I feel like I'm pretty good at that, but it's like those little in between times where I'm like mentally like, Oh yeah, my cut's done. Like you're never done. Right. It's a, it's a game of, of sort of balanced will. The longer I can be focused and more consistently, I can be focused on my opponent, the more of an advantage that I'm going to have. So that's process goals for me, process goals for the team. I think, striking a good balance between lighthearted and focused and determined at practice. Obviously that's like super easy to say and really hard to do because I've been on teams where there's, you know, 
effectively a, you know, a verbal bullwhip from the coach. That's like, everybody runs sprints, like don't laugh, like just run, like be hard, you know, like, and that's not really our, our identity. That's not our soul. It's not who we are, but I've also played on loads of practices where it's just like dudes shooting the breeze, making jokes, like not taking it seriously. And uh, that's just wasting an opportunity. You have to become a better player and a, an opportunity you have to become a better uh, team. So I think finding a good balance where we are light enough that we trust each other and we're enjoying ourselves, uh, but also focused enough that we are actively getting better. So who's the best motivational speaker on the flyers then? Who do you want talking to the team? I, pressure moments? I would take Noah Saul. And one of the things I said to him recently, which I think is true, is the way that one can know their game is maturing well is because you start to like Noah more and more as a, as a player and as a presence on the team. I mean, he's been around for ages. What has he been playing? Frisbee for like 18 years or something like that. And he's been playing ring for nine years, uh, which is just wild. Um, and the thing is, it's like he, he does it in a way, it's, it's like not how I would do it. And in, and in some ways, it's like the way that I would do it is, is like best for me. But when it comes down to it, like the thing that's the best about Noah is that he just like has this will to compete and to always win, but he doesn't do it in a way that's like flashy or, um, you know, self-gratifying or anything else. Like Noah wants to win in a way that like makes me want to have him have my back in a bar fight. Like he's just like, he's never going to give up. He's, you know, he's got kind of that Northeast grit he's from Pennsylvania. You know, he certainly loves that identity. And I think that his just like never give up, always play as hard as you can. Like he loves defense. I love defense. I think that that, that like, and, but he's also like, he's not afraid to confront somebody. So I think that I, I tend to be a lot more esoteric in my, in my motivation. Like, as, as I've said, you know, play excellent Frisbee, like execute, focus, things like that. And Noah's like, let's take it to these motherfuckers. They suck. Like, come on. And uh, I kind of sometimes kind of just need that, that little kick. Uh, and I really appreciate that for him. So you have a magic wand and you can pick one player on the team that will explode this year and just do their role incredibly well who do you think is the most important or who would you most want to see just absolutely explode this year i mean i think the first thing that comes to my head is because that's who i think is most likely to was walker matthews but for any of you who don't know joey Cotella is maybe the most underrated player in in the game i don't know i think he's incredible he's a super super good defender and against really good players he's like better at guarding good players than he is at guarding bad players he's like on offense, he is fast. He stays out of the way. He can throw resets and he can throw a flick up. Great. He's also really hard to poach. On defense, he's fast, high motor, elite, like predictive ability. He like doesn't ever get head faked um, and he stays really disciplined, but he's also able to, to sell out and get blocks when he needs to. And so we had huge success putting Joey on some of the top players, certainly in club and the top players in the division. So Last year, 2019, you definitely felt like you were a hub or a center handler the most often for your throws, um, which for those who don't know, Frisbee is kind of basically kind of like the quarterback for football, certainly the person who gets the most touches. But what, you know, when you were doing that and certainly touching the disc a lot, do you have a particular mindset that you want to walk into going into games? So I actually have thought about this a lot. I think it's it's one of the things that helped me a bunch in the, the year 2019. I think it was one of my certainly like I made big jumps in my game and I was really excited about. So I had to read this book for the first U24 team I was on. I don't remember what it was called, but basically it's an autobiography by this guy who by the age of 24 was a chess grandmaster 
and world champion at push hands, which is a kind of martial arts, which is insane. So his whole family were like prodigies and he's like talking about all this stuff. And I remember reading it and being like, I'm working on my first world championship and I'm, you know, 22. So we'll, we'll see how much I believe of this. But one of the points that he made in there that I think is really salient and I have remembered for a long time is this idea of boxes within boxes, right? So when you're learning something conceptually, there's so much to know. And when you start, your boxes are really little. So for Frisbee, you're, you know, you're for just throwing your boxes like, okay, what am I doing with my feet? Where's my elbow? Like, how do I hold on to the disc, right? Clearly, no one who's been playing for more than five years is thinking about how they hold it every time they throw. That's just ridiculous. So the next steps, you know, above that, those bigger boxes that sort of, you know, have a littler boxes in them are like, how do I throw it IO? How do I throw it outside in? How do I throw it far? How do I throw it soft, you know? And then above that is like, how do I attack the right? How do I attack this space effectively? How do I... Uh, shield this throw from a defender. And then I think even like the next level beyond that is how do I look at the field in a way that helps me throw the throws I want to throw? So I think the idea of, of how I approach a game like that is I need to get myself in a mental space where I don't think about the throw I'm going to throw. I just see if I hesitate or not. If I look at a thrower or look at a, an option that I'm going to throw to and I don't hesitate, I just, I just throw it. That's a good look. And if I look at someone and I hesitate, don't throw that. Because when you hesitate, you project, right? You're looking down the field. You're, you're letting the defense know what you're trying to throw. You, like, it's not ingrained enough for me to consistently execute that throw if I have to think about it. So really, it's just like, at this point, when I, the way I approach, like, not throwing, but being a thrower is tighten down your visual progression, where you look to throw. Because obviously, you can't, you're not going to throw it to something you're not looking at. So figure out where you're looking. And then what throws do you throw without hesitation? And those are the ones that you should be throwing in the game. Fun things within the AUDL. If we could trade for one player in another franchise, I'm not asking you to say who we trade. I'm not, yeah. Like, I'll trade Saw Yannick for whoever. I just want him off the team. Like that's not yeah, right. Yeah. Get that Saw bum out of here. <laughs> but like, so like, right. So if there's someone else on another team that you were like, Hey Mike, we need to trade for this guy. Who would you trade for? So I really liked playing with, so I, first of all, I, and a lot of these guys I also like am friends with. So I, I would love to have Jack Williams back. I love Jack. We actually used to be coworkers at a construction company with Noah Saul, which is really funny to me. Um, but uh, yeah, he, I mean, Jack's an incredible player and he's this really, really cool guy. Uh, so I'd love to have Jack back. That's a cop out, right? Everybody knows we want Jack. Back. It's a little cop out. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. I would really like to play with Ryan Osgar. Uh, Ryan and I played against each other in college all the time. I guarded him like every game. You know, he was two years older than me. And I think our games resemble each other a lot. Our offensive games particularly resemble each other a lot. Uh, we're sort of like, you know, slightly decent sized mids, play strong in the air, like really balanced throws, kind of a, a sort of like power cutting uh, hybrid, I guess. So I would really, really like to play with Ryan. And he's a mainstay in the originally the Minnesota area, although he just moved to New York. So he'll yes. likely play the Empire this year, which everyone is so excited about. Yep. Uh, let's flip it. All right. So you, you know, we're in 2050 and they now have drafts for the franchise. So you get to go play for another franchise. Who would you <laughs> want to draft you? Who would I want to draft me? So like I said, I love all the guys on, on New York, but I don't want to, I don't want to join a super team, right? That's, that's, that's just a cop out, right? It's going to feel way better to, to win a championship with the Flyers. And that's like what I want. So 
that I wouldn't go to New York, even though they're really good, but I would like to be coached by Daryl Stanley again. He was uh, the U24 coach, one of the U24 coaches in Germany, and I had a great time. Daryl was super cool. We get along really well. And he's uh, similarly enthusiastic about the game. So I, w- I would play for DC, I think. I don't think they would mind having you. We're going to have some good, every time we've played them too, it's been a great match. And now they're finally in our division. So yeah, it's going to be, be a good time. Good. I also am excited to, to talk a little trash to Daryl when we beat them. Okay, on that note, my favorite question. I love this question so much. I'm not asking you to rank the Flyers because that would be an outcome goal and your anti-outcome goal, which I'm totally yeah. cool with. So, but we are now part of the big super Atlantic division, which has, oh my gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, seven teams, not, not including us. So eight teams total. So obviously, you know, there's big caveats here of like COVID's happened. We have, you know, we're still seeing rosters come out, but just in general, you need to rank the seven super Atlantic teams. So, I mean, I think on paper, New York just looks, they're stacked, right? That makes sense. They've got a lot of really, really incredible players on their team. And uh, that's going to make them hard to beat. Yeah. I honestly, and this might be a hot take and a little bit of hearsay. I think Atlanta is going to be really good this year. I don't know about number two, but I certainly think they're going to be really good. They're picking up some pieces that make them way more dynamic um obviously their team's really well coached and super like execution effective but one of the things that was really i guess a weakness of theirs that helped us beat them last year is that they were not a good hucking team but they're picking up some really good hucking players right we all know jakeem and he's got kind of transcendent athleticism and uh, antoine davis is also a super powerful deep cutter and michael fairley and john stubbs so those, those four guys could really like be exactly what they need to lift them up. So I'd maybe put them at like, yeah, maybe a soft three spot. I'm going to tentatively say it's probably like New York, Atlanta, DC, uh, Philly, or no, Pittsburgh, Boston, Philly, and then uh, Tampa Bay. I'm going to, I'm going to say tentatively. That's, that's what I think, but don't put that much stock in it because I, I, I'm not the person to like really give a, a Oh no, we want, we need the hot take though. Like we need you to be like, Tampa Bay is garbage and they're going to be at the bottom of the division. Like they need that. We need to put that on them now. Okay. All right. All right. My, well, and the other one I'm really interested to hear what people think is where's Boston going to be? Cause obviously the newest franchise to the, uh, ADL, you know, they're in Boston, which has been a hotbed for ultimate. I mean, just less than a decade ago, every Boston team in 2016, in club championships, there was all Boston teams that won. It was the last time there was a city sweep. So like, yeah, you know, it does feel like if they can get their stuff together, like Boston's going to be damn good, but it will be good. I, it, I, I mean, it just totally depends on who plays, right? If all the best talent in Bo- all the best men's talent in Boston plays, then they'll be really good. But you know, it's obviously challenging to, to make that happen. And I will say also Tampa Bay at the bottom. I'm sorry, Roni. We had a great time at triads together. You're <laughs> great. And I love playing with you but I think your team's garbage. <laughs> All right. Uh, just some other non AUDL flyer specific questions, just kind of ultimate in general. Is there a moment within ultimate as an experience that you love most? Hmm. I mean, there are definitely a few that come to mind. I love pulling with like four seconds left on the clock in the AUDL because it's like, I can throw it farther with a run up than anybody in the league can throw without a run up. Um, and so it's like really fun to just like get up there and juice one and then just like, you know, put your finger up and walk off the field. I do really like seeing, seeing a poach calculating that they are not close enough to affect and then like throwing it, having it be a goal. And you just sort of like have your moment, you look down, and you're like, 
you need to go a little further next time, but you think I don't have that throw? Don't make a mistake twice because I will, I will do it again. Do you have any tips for players who are new to Frisbee? Players who are new to Frisbee. So if you're new to Frisbee in general, I'd say just like, make sure you're doing it because you love it. You're not going to have a happy time playing Frisbee if you're not doing it because you love it. If you already have that box checked and you want to become an elite thrower, focus on edge control. It's the most important skill. If you look at every elite thrower in the game, it's like outside in throws, five to 10 degrees, and being able to run that edge the whole time, like every elite thrower throws that throw a lot. It's like the optimal edge to throw a huck. And uh, honestly, I think it's kind of the optimal edge to throw like break throws too. But if you can't edge, if you cannot control edge, you will be trash in the wind and you will not be able to throw far. So OIs over IOs. Interesting. That's not Absolutely. what my college captain told me. Well, they tell you IO because they want it to stick because they don't want it to blade and go into the ground. Right. Yeah. So the idea is you throw it IO because it'll eventually turn over. Well, it like it doesn't have to. You can just throw it with a lot of spin and have it hang out at at that edge. No, I think that's smarter. Your college captains are wrong. Uh, Trey Kesey, shout out to you, man. I'm gonna make sure you hear this. Sorry, Trey. Uh, you're not the, you're not on the Zoom call, but I am. I am eyeing the camera right now. That one's for you. <laughs> uh, the favorite, your favorite frisbee team or game ever to watch that you were not in. I was not in. So is tough. There... I do really like watching myself play. It's one of my favorite things to do. Just I feel like I learned so much from it. I mean, the like almost any game from the next gen 2012, because they were just so good. And I was like, oh, I want to be that. Yeah, I would I would watch almost any game from next gen 2012. So, oh, so this Charlie Eisenhower will love this if he ever gets to hear this. So do you think we should have a, a heavier disc or a more a more stable disc? for when the wind's a certain degree? Are you an advocate for that or think that's crazy? I, this is the first I've heard of it. Uh, I would say no. I mean, and, and some of the games like, right, like from a game theory perspective, right? Just learn, like it, it, it affects the meta. And I think that that's like totally fine. It also is like, if you could throw, and this is why what I tell people why I'm so obsessed with trying to throw it far. There is nobody who can throw a 70 yard standstill flick into a 20 mile or into a 40 mile per hour headwind, right? And you sometimes have to play games in 40 mile per hour headwind, right? And it's just like the only way to break up wind in those games is if they turf the centering pass, basically, right? If you get a super short field turn and then you happen to get a backhand off going straight into the wind, that's like perfect. You know what I mean? Well, so are you arguing for or against it now? Because I think that would be- I'm arguing against it. I'm saying just be better at throwing. (laughs) I don't, if I work this hard, I don't want someone to get a free handout. Are you kidding me? Well, as a cutter, I don't want a more stable disc because that's going to hurt to catch more too. So I, I think I'm on your side here. I just think that I've, it's interesting because there's certainly, there are times where you look at the, the wind report before you come out to a, a tournament or for, for a game and you're like, uh, this is, this is rough. All yeah. right. Our last section I'm going to do with everybody. It's entitled give and go. The goal with these is they're short little ones that you have to give us quicker answers for. Sure. Okay. You ready? Yeah. So would you rather get a bidding under D to get the turn or a huge sky for the score? Layout D, absolutely. I'm worse, I'm worse at it, so it means more. Definition of a great teammate in one sentence. Uh, someone who elevates the people around them. Scuber or hammer? Hammer. Favorite fan reaction at a game? When I caught that huge layout in the division playoffs and my parents and my aunt and uncle were in the stands and they cut to him right afterwards. Flick or backhand? Flick, barely. Favorite cereal? I don't eat cereal. That doesn't compute. How do you eat as much as you do, but never eat cereal? Eggs. Eggs. And rice. Eggs. Yeah. Uh, how do you take your eggs? Usually 
fried uh, sesame seeds, ketchup, soy sauce, and rice. It's loco moco. If you ever had it, it's like a kind of Japanese inspired thing. My cousins who live in Hawaii, it's dank. Who inspires you? Tim Duncan, my favorite basketball player. I've, I've recently gotten on a huge Tim Duncan train. I love that man. He's the best. Go to spike on a big score. I'm pretty trash at spiking. I've been told that like very seriously, like in, in like feedback, they're like, you, you do a cool thing and then you don't care. And we need you to like be a little more demonstrative, but I usually just like to wag the disc around and then just like throw it. Well, Tim Dunk, but Tim Duncan wasn't like that. So I don't exactly. And that's what I mean. They're like, he's a, he's like, it's just business. You just do it. uh, And it doesn't matter. Right. You like scoring the point or winning the game should be enough for you. Side salad or fries? Fries, 100%. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, I'm going to say no, but I'm not going to die on that hill. Someone else wants it to be a sandwich. That's cool with me. Best pregame tune to get you in the right headspace. I also don't listen to music pregame, which is weird. But I do like listening to, um, I mean, Ring of Fire when we're at Nationals. Uh, that's always fun. Favorite defense? FM Sponge. Shout out Daryl, Bob, and Joe. It was U24 defense we played. It it clean shot. It was so good. Maybe maybe not perfect for a lot of other applications, but for that tournament, it certainly was. So FM stands for force middle. Sponge is just roll the, lander, roll the handlers in the lane all the way up the field, which is hilarious. Like, like an experienced player would be like, oh yeah, well, you just like throw a fast swing that gains yards to the sideline and then you can throw it behind them after that either way, which is true. But most U24 teams don't have that experience. Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? But anything on pizza, the most, the most American thing about pizza, because pizza is one of the most American things is just, you do whatever you want with it. Boxing match between our head coach, Mike Denardis and very proud announcer for the AUDL, Evan Lepler, who wins the boxing match. Mike Denardis in a heartbeat. Evan, I know you're a cool guy. Mike D boxes. He like has a bunching bag. That's, I actually remember because I was walking up to his house to do a team meeting uh, with the leadership and he was like giving it to the heavy bag, like. He's, uh, he's, he's also got, he's got a little bit of anger in him. You know, it's camped down now that he's, he's grown up, but there are some wild stories of Mike D in his youth, which I will certainly not tell here. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to wrap up. So last thing is I like to give people space to give a shout out. Uh, that can be for a Frisbee thing or a non-Frisbee thing, just shout out to a person or a group or anyone who's just kind of doing good work in the community. Doing good work in the community. I mean, I certainly want to shout out Tristan, like Tristan Green. He's the head of Triangle Ultimate. He works super hard. And uh, I think that the overall push of the area is really strong. Uh, my selfish shout out, and this is, uh, leave this in so she can hear it. Lindsay Sue, you are not going to win our bet. And you are going to be jumping in that quarry come October. And that is all I will say. Eric, you've been so generous with your time. We definitely went over, uh, but uh, it's been fun. I hope I'm excited for the season. Yep. Thanks, Luke. And uh, me too. Huge thank you to Eric Taylor for coming on to the program today. If you want more information about the Flyers, you can go to their website and get tickets at raleigh-flyers.com. We're excited the season is just around the corner and we're ready to get going. As always, our sound editor is Mr. Jonathan Liu, music by Kai Moscow, and I'm your host, Luke Mead, and this has been the Raleigh Pro Ultimate Podcast. We'll see you next time.